Welcome to Rule 8 Politics with Jeremy and Zach. This is the show where we always tell the truth, where we at least don't lie. And we have a lot to talk about today. We had a crazy week. If 2020, if you thought 2020 was crazy, this week was like the the cherry on top of it all, because uh, I, I don't see how it could get any worse than this. This was a hell of a week. We had the debate, in quotations, debate. And uh, then we had the president has coronavirus. Um, I, I don't even know where to start, but I guess we'll start with uh, uh, the coronavirus. Um, but actually, first, let me just ask you, Jeremy, how you feeling, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hanging in there, brother. Uh, yeah, it's been a wild, crazy ride this week, man. Um, I think it's a if you're if you're into um, you know electoral politics, then this week has just been. I mean, it's a uh, been the, the the best worst week ever like <laughs> best worst week ever for sure uh, yeah it's definitely yeah. it's a it's been exciting it's been crazy um i don't know man for for a guy like me that's always just like waiting for like the next like thing to come out it's just been like it's it, it's been a, an awesome week <laughs> hell yeah man hell of a roller coaster we've laughed we've cried <laughs> oh man um but uh, yeah, and now the president is at Walter Reed, Walter Reed Hospital with the coronavirus just after mocking Joe Biden for wearing a mask during the debate earlier in the week. Um, and we got a, a ton of people who also came down with coronavirus this week. I think you got the whole list with you, right? Yeah, I, I, so I, I think I think I got everybody. Like, <laughs> there are some names that have been uh, not released to the public yet, but uh, all right. So I will break down this list to as I know it. So starting at the top of the list, of course, we have President Donald Trump, First Lady Melania Trump, Presidential Counselor Kellyanne Conway, and actually her daughter Claudia Conway just a few hours ago, and now she has uh, coronavirus. Now I did not know that. Uh, presidential counselor Hope Hicks, Trump's campaign manager Bill Stepen. Stepen, I forget how you pronounce that guy's I'm last not name. Not sure either. Trump's personal attendant Nick Luna, and then we have Senator Mike Lee of Utah. We have Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina, former New Jersey governor. Excuse me, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie, the University of Notre Dame president John Jenkins. The RNC chairwoman, Rana McDaniel, and at least three members of the White House press corps. So, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure many others too that we just don't know because they're not famous people. Right. Um, all these people, maybe with the exception of Kellyanne Conway's daughter, were at the same event, right? I, the, I believe so, for the most part. Uh, I, I think. Uh, I think there might be a couple names in there that were not at the press of, at the uh, at the Rose Garden. I mean, I could be wrong, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it, uh, this that seems to be um, for certain a super spreader event. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that the White House hosted a super spreader event. You know, I mean, that's supposed to be like the most secure place in the country, and it just it just shows you know how unserious the president has taken this this virus in my opinion i don't know if you feel differently on that um i know some people are saying that there's no way they could have could have prevented it they were probably going to get it anyway um 
what are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, I'm 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 not surprised whatsoever that Trump or these lists of people got it. Uh, what I am surprised by is that it took them this long to get it. Yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, uh, the the seriously um, this blatant disregard for the realities of viral transmission. And man, it's just, I I guess there's two different ways to look at it. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, man, you could really just not care and you you might be fine for six months. You know, Mm -hmm. you can, you can, you can be the most important man and the the most powerful man in the country and give barely any attention to it whatsoever. And for six months, baby, you're good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's a very important lesson to be learned there. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. doesn't matter if you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent. You know, the coronavirus doesn't care who or what you are. It's going to get you if you're not careful. So, you know, wear a mask. And, you know, what's what's just just very apparent right now is that this is becoming a Republican issue, right? Because it's, it's really just Republicans that aren't wearing the masks for the most part and becoming complacent. You know, everyone that you just named on that list is, is a Republican. And I say that as someone who has traditionally voted Republican, you know, so I'm kind of being self-critical here where, you know, this is, this is serious stuff. we got to take science seriously, in my opinion. And, you know, I, if, Maybe this is wishful thinking, but I'm hoping that uh, the Republican Party stops being an anti-science party. And that's that regards the virus, but also things like the environment. Um, (laughs) You know, you look at that that Saturday event where they were nominating Amy Coney Barrett. They're all hugging each other, kissing each other. You know, I mean. It's just just unnecessary. If Joe Biden was the president, um, this ceremony, I mean, it probably wouldn't have been for Amy Coney Barrett, but whoever they were nominating uh, probably would have been done virtually. If not virtually, everyone would have been sitting 10 feet apart, socially distanced, wearing masks. You know, you wouldn't have Chris Christie, Chris Christie kissing people on the cheek you know i don't know who wants that anyway but you know that's how this stuff spread and it's just it's just common sense stuff yeah and it was, this whole event was completely unnecessary right it's really just a uh uh like a, a, a formal i'm not even sure if you, if you can call it a tradition it's just a way to put people in front of cameras and try to get press coverage like you know it's yeah. it's not like this thing that has to happen mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, fuck, you could say that like this didn't need to happen whatsoever. And the only thing that needs to happen is just the uh, the Senate confirmation hearing. We could have just gone straight to yeah. that. And like, you, do, do you think people would have even objected to just going, especially from the Republican Party, would people have objected to just going straight to the Senate? Because that's where they want to be. Like, that's right. where it happens. Like, the important shit happens in the Senate. It doesn't happen in the fucking Rose yeah. Garden, right? But they want the media coverage. It's an election year. It's kind of a campaign event. You know, I mean, that's really what this is about, I think. You know, it's about motivating evangelicals to go out and vote for Trump. You know, it's a very important part of the Republican Party. It's a part that Trump desperately needs to go and vote. I mean, Trump is really not a Christian. You know what I mean? He may consider himself the defender of Christianity. You know, I mean, he was talking about how how the Democrats are 
becoming an anti-Catholic party because they don't want Amy Coney Barrett. But I mean, Trump himself, he's a guy who's been divorced and remarried many times. He's got, he said some bizarre things that no Christian man would say. Um, you know, he needs to do something for the evangelicals to get them to show up and vote and putting conservatives on the bench. That's really the best thing that he could do for them. Um, so this, this was very much a campaign event in my mind. Um, do they, do they even normally have these big ceremonies when they nominate somebody? Uh, Man, I don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I honestly don't know. Um, perhaps they do. I, I, I would, I would imagine it to be somewhat commonplace. Maybe it's mm-hmm. you know something from like, I don't know, a more recent vintage that it became such a thing. Um, but like I said before, this whole thing was unnecessary, regardless. Yeah. yeah um, yeah, it was just a question that just kind of popped up into my head. I'm really not sure either. Uh, but, you know, even more bizarre is, uh, you know, the fact that they did this event on that Saturday. Then I think on either Tuesday night or Wednesday, they found out that Hope Hicks had tested positive and she had been in close proximity with the president before that. Trump continued on to his... Uh, fundraising event in Bedminster, New Jersey on Wednesday when, uh, I I mean, I think the timeline is a little bit messy here. We don't know if he knew at that time he was positive or if, I mean, I I would really hope not. I mean, that would be a a real national scandal if he knew he was positive and went to this event. But still, they knew that Hope Hicks was positive and, you know, he had interacted with her and he went to this event while awaiting his results. I mean, that's kind of a a big deal, you know? And and I think they were, I think he hosted like a, like a round table discussion or something with people. So, I mean, there's a chance that we start hearing about people who attended this event in New Jersey coming down with symptoms and getting sick. Yeah. It's unreal. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to believe that we're, I mean, really, well, unfortunately, it's really not hard to believe that we're in the situation given the current president who, that we have, but any other administration. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, like, like Ronald Reagan, for example, if Ronald Reagan was the, the president during the coronavirus pandemic, would he have just such a blatant disregard for the safety of himself, his family and his fellow Americans? I, mean, I yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, yeah, I mean, they weren't even his family weren't even wearing masks at the debate. Did you hear about this? <laughs> yeah, I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, think they, they walked in, they walked in wearing them. Yeah, because they had sad. to. They yeah. had to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then they sat down and they take the masks off, and a, a, a doctor who worked at the clinic goes up to the first family and they're like, Hey, do you guys need masks? And they're, they're like, no, they basically just denied it. And it was, it was ru- the rule too. I mean, mm-hmm. the Cleveland clinic uh, mandated that everybody in attendance wear masks. Um, yeah, it's so stupid. I mean, you, you don't win. There's no political gain in my no. opinion to, to, to ignore this. It's just irresponsible. It's a small thing that you could do to help protect you know, those around you, it's, that's the very definition of patriotism. 
you know, making a sacrifice. I mean, maybe it's uncomfortable wearing a mask. You don't like the way it, it, it fits. Maybe it's a little bit harder to breathe. I, I don't think it's all that much harder to breathe, but maybe that's because I just have very strong lungs. Who knows? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's not that big of a deal to wear a freaking mask. It's a very small sacrifice. And why do we call our soldiers patriots? Because they make sacrifices, you know, they sacrifice, you know, their family time by spending a, a ton of time away overseas, fighting for us, protecting us. And sometimes they make the ultimate sacrifice by laying down their lives for our country. So the definition of patriotism is, is making a, a, a sacrifice, a personal sacrifice for the betterment of your country. So, you know, if there is anything political about wearing a mask, it should be that wearing a mask means you're a patriot. And it, it really just disturbs me that this president couldn't, couldn't you know, connect those simple dots and have that, like, I'm against a mask mandate. I don't like the idea of a federal mask mandate. You know, this is a free country. If you really don't want to wear one, you don't have to. But you know what? You're unpatriotic, in, in my opinion. If you're going out in public not wearing a mask, it's, it's just simple as that. And, you know, this president loves to bully people. He loves to put people down and, and call them losers and suckers. He should be calling he should be calling the anti-maskers the losers and suckers if anyone is a loser or a sucker. Goddamn right. Yeah, I said, I'm on the same page with you too, man. Like, I don't believe that a that the that the mask mandate should come down from the uh, from a, a federal or a state level, but. At the same time, I think if a business wants to refuse service to somebody for not wearing a mask, that's their right too. Too, oh, you know. Yeah. I think you know the uh, the same supreme supreme court decision that allowed that that baking company in Colorado not to bake a cake for that gay couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that same rule applies here. Like if they don't want to serve you because you're not wearing a mask, that's their that's their right, and it goes both ways, man. Yeah, no shirts, no shoes, no mask, no service. It's it's yeah. that simple. Um. Hmm. Uh, so, all right, where are we at now? Um, he's at the hospital, right? He, uh, he's getting some kind of experimental medication. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Friday, Friday. I I actually thought like when this news first broke, um, what was it like, uh, midnight Wednesday going into Thursday or something, or was it Thursday? I'm getting the timeline a little bit mixed up here. Uh, Thursday night. Yeah. We're getting mixed up like that doctor given the first press conference was yeah it's yeah, been so yeah. It, it's been it it's all been, over the place yeah it's bullish yeah it's been hard for anybody to keep track i mean like i can't believe the debate was on tuesday you know yeah it's like, it was like <laughs> another world away a whole whole another lifetime right um but yeah i believe it yeah it was thursday thursday night almost at midnight when yeah. the uh, when the news broke um so that whole first day the next day i thought this guy was very very sick you know he wasn't tweeting you know, he, he sent the one tweet out um, letting us know that he had tested positive, he and the first lady. And then uh, he sent another tweet out, a, a short video, like a minute long video of him getting ready to leave the White House, just saying that he's feeling OK. The first lady's doing great, but he's going to the hospital. It was like a really quick video. And like, yeah. I, I just figured he was probably sleeping all day or just feeling like hell because this is a guy who normally tweets like 30 times a day at least and and it was just silent so i'm thinking something's really going on this guy's really sick he's 
he's uh not only is he 74 i believe he's 74 um yes. yeah uh 74 so you know the the elderly population is an at-risk population um and he's also technically obese so those are are two you know the, the three groups i think that are uh, most at risk uh for the coronavirus are the elderly the technically obese and people with um underlying uh health conditions he fits two out of three of those groups so I, i'm thinking this guy's really freaking sick and we might have a real crisis on our hands um, but I mean, today he's like driving around the hospital on his motorcade doing laps, waving at people. So, I mean, he's, he's obviously doing much better, uh, which is, which is a good thing. You know, he's the president of the United States. So I want him to get better. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, you got the, the medication that he's taken, right? Yeah. I'd also like to mention too, before we get into this, that, you know, um, you know, uh, it, it's it's so unpredictable with this virus and what it can do to your body, how quickly it can set in. Um, same thing with Boris Johnson when he had it, man. I mean, Boris Johnson mm-hmm. almost died. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, it was a it was a medical miracle that he pulled through. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's very lucky. And I think he was in the hospital for over a month, right? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that that was also too. You know, they were telling everybody, hey. He's doing great. He's doing fine. Nothing, nothing to worry about. And holy, right. it's like, and then, oh my God, he's about to be intubated. Like, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, let's get into these these medications that they are used on President Trump. He is currently on, uh, besides the medication that he was currently on, I believe he was on uh, medication for cholesterol, uh, something to, maybe something about calcium in his blood. He's also been taking zinc and vitamin D um, for quite a while now. So that might also let me you know, help him through this situation here. All right. So, yeah, I, most... I heard I heard uh, something about vitamin D actually being uh, um, I, I mean, please, people don't just like start taking vitamin D because, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> this is the podcast where we tell the truth, you know, but there's also the part where we we, we we just don't lie. Okay. So I may be wrong in this, but I heard vitamin D is, is helpful in fighting the coronavirus. Don't know if that's true, but I I did hear this. Yeah. I've heard the same thing. How much vitamin D do you take a day? I I, I really don't, but I should, but you know what? I'm outside every day. Uh So, I mean, vitamin D you get from the sun, right? Uh So yeah. 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 So yeah. I mean, I I get my vitamins from the sun. A, A lot of people are just they're, they don't go outside, you know, I mean, we we're we're becoming a, uh, you know, a, a screen culture where we're just looking at screens all day, our cell phones and, you know, our kids, we don't we don't want our kids going down the street because we don't want them getting kidnapped anymore. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's we're, we're becoming a very protective society. And most kids nowadays are, are just playing indoors versus 30 years ago. It was mostly playing outdoors. I remember my, my dad telling me that when he was growing up, he'd get woken up at like nine in the morning and told you have to go outside. You can't come back in until dinner time, you know? <laughs> and that's just, it's just not the case anymore. But anyway, no. um, kids today aren't getting the same levels of, as vitamin, of vitamin D as they were back in the day, because a lot of kids are just indoors and that could make us more, uh, 
susceptible to things like the coronavirus. Yeah, you're absolutely correct on all points here. But yeah, it's a if, uh, I would also encourage everyone out there listening, if you're not taking vitamin D already as, as a supplement, to just check it out. That's um, the the science and research out there is really pointing towards having well the, the majority of Americans are vitamin D deficient, and it's a uh, not only with COVID, but when it comes to viral infection and normal normal hormone production and regulation within the body, it's an incredibly important and often uh, overlooked uh, you know part of a dietary important dietary um, uh, well-being. But moving on, <laughs> moving on. So there is an experimental uh, drug that Trump has been given. And all right, so just fair warning, there's going to be some big words here and maybe some words that I don't even understand the definition of. So trigger just, alert, uh, yeah. trigger <laughs> alert to people who uh, are intimidated by big words. <laughs> all right. So uh, he has been given a single eight gram dose of this drug called Region Cove 2 as R-E-G-N dash C-O-V-2. This is an artificial antibody cocktail designed specifically to block the infectivity of COVID-2, or SARS-CoV-2. Um, this is a clinical drug, or still in trials. Uh, more than 2,000 people have been enrolled across the overall Region Cove 2 development program to date. And no unexpected safety findings have been reported. Early data shows a reduction in viral levels and improved symptoms with region COVID-2 treatment in non-hospitalized COVID-19 patients. Uh, last important thing to note here, that the eight grams that he received is what they considered a high dose in the clinical trials. So you can look at it at, as potentially as, um, well, also like the... The fact that he's hospitalized is, you know, worth noting that they've only tested this on, on non-hospitalized patients. They gave him the maximum dose. Um, it's not an approved drug, yeah. but no, unex no unexpected safety findings have been reported across 2,000 people so far. So. Yeah. so the news on that drug, before you go on to the other ones, that news came out fairly early, I think, on, on when he was first brought to the hospital. And that was another thing that was, you know, going into my thinking that this guy's very sick, you know, I mean, number one was the lack of tweets, but number two was the fact that he's being given this medication that uh, has not yet gone through uh, all of the clinical trials that are usually needed before something is released to the public, you know? So, you know, I heard some people saying that, Oh, he's the president. He's going to get the best care and he's going to get the best stuff. I'm thinking, you know, why are they experimenting on the president of the United States unless they're just grasping at straws? You know, this guy's got to be very sick and they're just, you know, throwing everything. They're throwing the whole kitchen sink at it. Uh, but I guess either I was wrong or maybe this stuff is just very good and they got lucky and now he's doing great because he had this medication. So, so I don't yeah. know, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> nobody does really. I mean, yeah. I guess maybe, maybe if you work at the FDA and, and, and the higher levels, you know, what's going on with this drug and maybe it's going to be like, you know, approved tomorrow or next week and the clinical trials are all done. They just got to go through the formalities of like signing off on everything. Who knows? Um, but it's, uh, 
it sounds like if, if this, especially if this works for Trump, Jesus Christ, man, if you, if you had um, invested stock in this company, like last week, <laughs> yeah, holy shit, that's going to be like through the roof. Well, yeah, I, I, I was actually looking at it over the weekend and um, on Friday, the after hours trading, uh, it was up like 3%. You know, so <laughs> that's probably going to continue. You may even be able to get in at a decent price on uh, on Monday. Um, but yeah, uh, Regeneron. Uh, I don't know the ticker symbol, but definitely worth checking out if you're a trader. Um, full disclosure, I actually did put a buy order in for it for just one share at like $600 a share. Oh. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know if that's going to get filled, but uh yeah, definitely something uh, interesting to speculate on. All right, the uh, the second drug that he's been been given uh, is is uh, remdesivir. He's going to be taking remdesivir for the next five days, and remdesivir is an antiviral medication. Little history on remdesivir, uh, and back in May, it became the first drug to be approved by the uh, FDA to treat the novel coronavirus. In April, a study which included more than 1,000 hospitalized patients with severe COVID-19 showed that patients who received remdesivir recovered 31% more quickly. Uh, the drug prevents the virus from producing a particular enzyme that is necessary for the virus to replicate itself. Once this happens, the virus is no longer able to spread within the body. And the most common side effect with people with COVID-19 is nausea. So it seems to be a fairly successful drug with very minimal side effects. Yeah. Yeah. We've been hearing about this one in the news for a while. So I wouldn't expect Gilead who makes Rendisavir to uh, get a big pop on in the stock, but Regeneron. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right. So this last drug, this is dexamethasone. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I think so. And dexamethasone is a synthetic steroid used to relieve inflammation and is used to treat certain forms of arthritis, skin, blood, kidney, eye, thyroid, and intestinal disorders, Se uh, severe allergies, asthma, and certain types of cancer. It can also be beneficial towards, but a big takeaway here, it's uh, it relieves inflammation. Mm -hmm. But this drug... Out of the other two that we've mentioned so far, this one comes with some potentially serious side effects. And if you hear people now more than ever say or claim or propose that Trump concede power to Mike Pence during the treatment or during the course of his treatment, this is likely why. So side effects associated with dexamethasone include, these are common side effects, insomnia, vertigo, depression, euphoria, hypertension, increased risk of infection, confusion, irritability, and amnesia. Yeah, yikes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, so just, yeah, uh, let me uh, finish this off real quick. So unknown frequency. So those last ones I mentioned were common. These are less common and they're not so sure how frequent they occur, but they include osteoporosis, mania, psychosis, heart failure, seizures, muscular atrophy, and psychological dependence. And that psychological dependence 
given that's with extended use, can result in death. So he's got really the best medical team in the world around him, uh, at least, or at least we think, you know, it's that in an ideal world, the president of the United States would have the best medical professionals around him. So, I mean, yeah, there's a, a ton of, of risky side effects here, but they're going to be monitoring him. And if he starts showing these, these side effects, they're going to counter treat it with something else or take him off the medication. You know, I mean, I'm honestly not all concerned about it. You know, yeah. you know, I think you know, if I'm going to speak honestly on the subject, you know, probably not that that concerned about it either. However, I think the when you the president of the United States is taking a medication that can potentially cause you know confusion and an amnesia. Yeah, I think at, at least uh, it is uh, it's worth talking about, worth noting. Yeah, and uh, I guess like not being naive to the ramifications that could stem from it. Yeah, that's true. Um, that uh, tweet that you sent me earlier from, uh, I'm trying to pull it up now. That's why oh, I keep yeah. looking down at my phone. Uh, from Michelle Dauber, or Duber, Dauber. She's a professor at Stanford, uh, chair of the Enough Voter. I don't know what that is. Let's see what Enough Voter is. Enough is Enough Voter Project. All right, so she's she's obviously a, a, a partisan trying to get rid of Trump. Um, she's an author. Uh, she uh, likes backpacking, skiing, and ranting. Uh, this tweet that you sent, I'm reading it, and she's basically saying that she was treated with this drug uh, and uh, uh, following brain surgery. It is, as my team told me, I'm reading here directly from, from her tweet. It is, as my team told me, a drug that seriously messes with your mind. It's a bad drug. I could not wait to get off it. Unfortunately, you have to wean off, which takes time. Trump is incapacitated. I think the drive-by thing he just did is potentially a symptom of dexamethasone. In yeah, that, might to, be, yeah, that might be a reach, but... <laughs> yeah, so, so that, that's, that was going to be my point. You know what I mean? By that initial tweet, I'm like, oh, shit, you know, this drug really could bring uh, some more trouble. And then she says that the drive-by thing is potentially a symptom of, of him taking this drug. No way. That was yeah. the most classic Trump thing he could have possibly done. You know? No doubt. I mean, yeah. I mean there's, there's no way he's not going to take advantage of, of a bunch of supporters waving flags and, and, and signs outside the hospital. He's going to want to go around, wave, and hear the cheers. I mean, the guy loves that stuff. He loves to be loved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was not. I, I was that. I was not surprising me whatsoever. But I think the uh, if you keep on going with her, her tweet, she gets more into some of the nuts and bolts of what it's like to be on that medication. In addition to warning of mood changes, my surgeon told me it makes you feel like I could bike up Mount Tam or run a marathon right after brain brain surgery when I still had staples in my head. Here's the. Is this the same tweet? No, it's a different one. Um, yeah, so I guess it, it could potentially make you feel like, like you're a superhero with super strength and whatnot. Um, so we'll see. It's definitely something to watch, to keep an eye on. 
Um, but, but again, you know, I, 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 he's going to be under constant supervision, I think, for the next few weeks. And um, I, I think if they start to see anything, you know, his mood changing or him having any, the doctors are aware of these potential side effects. You know, they're going to be looking for it. They're going to be trying to hold him back. And we'll just have to see how he responds to to these doctors who are trying to keep them, uh, you know, uh, under control. And uh, does he listen to it, their advice or not? That's going to be the real test, I think. You know, one more takeaway. This drug supposedly gives you superhuman strength. That could actually be very good for him in terms of electoral politics. You know, I mean, if the public sees this guy who what just 72 hours ago was diagnosed with COVID-19 uh, might've been a little bit more than that now um, four days ago, whatever. And a week later, this guy is running marathons. Uh, I mean, it's going to make it look like, yeah, this virus isn't that big of a deal. Trump was right all along. <laughs> so, you know, I, I could potentially see that actually helping him um, in terms of the election which isn't necessarily uh, the best thing in the world. Um, and I'm not talking about Trump not being elected. I'm just talking about us in terms of uh, uh, people taking this virus seriously, because it is a serious virus. You know, Trump is receiving the best care that's available in this country, and it's not available to the most of us. So, you know, if you're an elderly person and, and you get the coronavirus, I mean, you're not going to get the same level of care as the president of the United States. It's just, it's just kind of a fact and it's, it's a sad fact. Um, so we should not be looking at the president and his, his rapid recovery as a referendum on how serious this virus is. Agreed. All right. Want to talk about the debate? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, the debate. Um, where did where does, where should we start with this? Should we start at the beginning, or they they did also uh, you know talk about the coronavirus during the debate too, which was you know and, and obviously it was a it's a major important thing going on right now. Um, and I already kind of mentioned this. It just kind of <laughs> it was just kind of like poetic justice with Trump mocking Biden for wearing the largest face mask he's ever seen. And then not even a week later, the guy's in the hospital with the coronavirus. Um, but um, let me ask, uh, what'd you think of Chris Wallace? I did great. Yeah, I really did. I, I think, uh, man, given, given what he had to work with, you know, I'm not sure what else Chris Wallace could have done to contain the, the, the chaos that was the debate. And, I, you know, but I, I think, well, first let me say, I thought that the debate was awesome. I loved it every yeah. second. <laughs> I had a blast watching that because I just knew it was going to be a disaster. And uh, I, I think, all right, so no matter what, I don't care who you put as a moderator. I don't care what technology you put in place of, you know, you can cut people's mics off, do whatever. It's, it's not going to make a difference. It's going to be chaos. Yeah. Right. So like, so why is it going to be that way? Well, 
like neither Trump or Biden are these, you know, they're not these intellectual heavyweights that are like driven from some like deep internal philosophy that they can just like riff on for like, they can, you know, have like this, the center that they can focus on and like debate their position and explain why they feel how they've came to this conclusion. And the, you know, a presidential, presidential debate is not the type of place that, you know, also allows for that type of conversation either. Like, you know, it's, it was, it was destined to be just sound bites, banter, dog fighting, because that's like, all right. So Trump, Trump and Biden, they, they both know how to play the game, right? Ah. Like all they fucking do is play the political game. So we, we were, the American people were delivered exactly what we asked for. (laughs) Yeah. Two old men just fighting. It was a real dog fight. Absolutely. Um, you think uh, one of the dogs got the better of the other, or uh, do you think there was a winner, or or, or what? Man, I think um, <laughs> if, in my book, I think the way I, the way I, I guess perceive it, looking back on it. But first, you, know, I, I, I watched the debate live on Tuesday night, and then I listened to it on Wednesday morning. Um, it's, it's a very different experience watching it versus listening, listening to it. Um, when I watched it, I felt like Biden often had the upper hand, but when you just listen to it, like you remove the visual element to it and just hear their voices, Biden did not carry himself very well at all. Um, I mean, he stumbles over his words way more than what I do on a regular basis. <laughs> his, uh, uh, his sentences weren't complete. He just, uh, he, well, that was that was Nixon versus Kennedy right there. Yeah, you know, yeah, basically, that was like the first televised debate. Uh, what are we talking? Um, 1961 or 1960? Uh, around there, yeah, some, somewhere. Yeah, 60 something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact year, but uh, it was the first televised debate, and people listening to it on the radio said that Nixon won. People who watched it on the TV said that Kennedy won, and uh, you know aesthetics w- played a major factor. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that you had a different takeaway uh, depending on the medium that you uh, took it in with. Um, I myself, I watched it live after a long day at work. I had like a thirteen-hour day that day. I got in the door like five minutes before the debate started. I uh, <laughs> I showered. I took like a three minute shower, ran out, and and watched the debate. And uh, so I, I guess that kind of impacted my my mood a little bit at the time. Um, my initial takeaway was that Trump was just kind of a monster. You know what I mean? Would not let Biden talk. Um, didn't follow the rules. And for the most part, I think that was the case, but I did rewatch it today, earlier today. And my takeaway was somewhat different, to be honest with you. I, the second time watching it, I didn't think Trump did as bad as I thought he did after the first time I watched it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree too. Uh, I, I think, um, I, Maybe I don't know. Maybe the way I've been thinking about the debate now 
is whether or not like who won or who lost, but did the voter, was the voter base for either party charged? Like, did yeah. they, did they get what they wanted out of, out of this debate? And I think absolutely they did. Um, get, hold up just two seconds. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. Uh, so I think, you know, half of, of America wants to look Donald Trump in the eye and say, shut up. You're a clown. You're the <laughs> worst up, president man. we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, and the other half of America wants to look Joe Biden in the eye and say, you're controlled by the left wing socialists. You can't even say law and order. You know, that's all this, that, and get this crazy stuff. So I think, I think America if you're either a Republican or a Democrat, you got what you wanted from your candidate out of that debate performance. I don't think anybody in Trump's camp was disappointed. And I, I think well, maybe some people in Biden's camps were disappointed because he kind of let Trump walk on him a little bit. But I think overall, in general, America got what they wanted from that debate. We got what we wanted and we all lost. Yeah, weird paradox there. Um, I did not like how much Trump argued with Chris Wallace. Um, a lot of people criticized Chris Wallace. You know, I watched uh, Ben Shapiro's reaction to the debate, and he was basically saying that Chris Wallace did a, did a horrible job. He essentially became a part of the debate, fighting with, with, with Trump. Um, and I didn't see it that way. As the moderator, it's your job to make people shut up when it's their turn to shut up, uh, make sure they don't talk over the other person. And I just thought he he had a very difficult job. I, I really didn't think Trump, for the most part, was, was uh, uh, listening to the rules. Um, uh, Biden did say a few things, though, that really kind of like, twisted the knife a little bit though in in trump and and got him to kind of like go off the rails a bit you know like i mean there was the shut up man quote he also called him a racist he called him a liar um trump called biden stupid so i mean it was kind of both ways this petty schoolyard type of of talk um but I thought the best. I thought Biden had the best line of the night, and that was, "It is the way that it is because you are the way that you are." I'm yeah. Like, Damn, that was, that was pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Biden did have a, a few good lines. You know, the uh, "I am the Democratic Party." Yeah, and, um, and I, I thought where he kind of fucked up with that though is like when Chris Wallace asked him, "Hey, have you been calling these governors and you know these senators and yeah. these, these states are having problems and like telling them to do anything about this?" And he's like, "No, man." He's like, "Well, <laughs> I, I, I thought I thought you just said you were the Democratic Party, like, <laughs> like yeah. the yeah, Democratic yeah. Party it's... is not interested in, in getting involved here, like." <laughs> right, right. No, that's that's so, that's so true. Um, but um, you know, I I think the reason why I thought that line was so great, I am the Democratic Party. It's because uh, I believe it was in response to the uh, the charge that Trump uh, laid. Uh, he basically said that Biden wants to get rid of private insurance. Um, he's siding with the, the the far left radical Democrats with Bernie Sanders. They want Medicare for all, and they're going to take away your private health insurance. And I mean, that's not 
true. Joe Biden supports a public option, which does not ban private insurance. Uh, some people are concerned that a private option would result in a government takeover of private insurance over time, which, I mean, is debatable, but Biden actually, he had an answer to that too. I actually think Wallace asked him about that specifically. And he basically said that his public option would only be for the very poor. Um, so, you know, regular, I, I wouldn't qualify for, for Medicaid, um, which, uh, or Medicare. Um, I always mix the two up there. Uh, but the public option would only be for a uh, very poor people. And therefore the private insurance, the private market would essentially still dominate 95% of people uh, looking for healthcare. Um, and also with regard to the green new deal, Biden kind of distanced himself from that a little bit. He said he supports the Biden plan, not the green new deal. Um, I don't think we got too many details on it, but just just distancing himself from the far left, I think uh, was very smart for him to do in in that he may have uh, uh, been able to win over some uh, moderates and even some Republicans who uh, um, are unsure of of Trump. Um, the the whole never Trump part of the party, the uh, the Lincoln Project. Those type of folks, I think Biden um, really spoke to during the debate. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I think, which will, I mean, just uh, to take a step back for just a second here, if, you know, if, uh, if Trump doesn't make it out of this, out of this COVID thing, whether he's just, you know, incapacitated or if he dies and Mike Pence, you know, takes the helm, um, man, I, these these Republicans that have sided with Joe Biden against uh, against Donald Trump, I think they would all flock right back to the, the, the Pence, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a good uh, chance. Yeah, I, I think so. Like uh, yeah, all these folks with the Lincoln Project, all these uh, all these re Republicans that spoke at the DNC, yeah, they're <laughs> they're back back on the party bandwagon if Trump kicks it. Yeah, it's not so much policy differences that they have. It's it's the explosiveness, the explosive rhetoric that uh, uh, that that Trump engages in, you know, the the constant hyperbole and um, fabrication of, of truths, you know, he lies, even, um, you know, all that kind of would disappear uh, if if Mike Pence were in charge. I mean, not that Mike Pence doesn't come with his own concerns. I mean, he. You know, uh, wasn't he the one who visited the the mask factory and wasn't wearing a mask? You know, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. There's that so, famous uh, that that picture of him like in the very beginning of the administration. They toured like a NASA facility, and there was like a part of like the shuttle or something. There's this big giant sign on it that says "Do not touch." And this picture is Mike Pence with his fucking hand, just like square, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> squarely and firmly oh, on man. this thing. Uh, 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 it's funny, man. That's kind of like that's kind of like a uh, Trump <laughs> staring into the eclipse. Uh, <laughs> man. <laughs> Yeah, it's just man, they, they just don't do any favors for themselves. But no, but Mike, Mike Pence. I think the thing about Pence is, you know, the he's not, he doesn't lie. You know, he's a he's a yeah. uh, he's a very honest man. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think that when it comes to like rallying the evangelicals, man, there's not many other people in the Republican Party that are better equipped to do that. Yeah, uh, 
very, very true. Um, very, very good points there. Um, but uh, I think Trump is going to be okay. Uh, you know, the news that's been coming out of out of the hospital has been pretty good the last two days. I mean, that could always change. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think that scenario is, is going to uh, take root. Um, but the next debate is the vice presidential debate, you know? So, I mean, it, it's gonna, it, it makes it extra interesting just because there is a possibility, you know, that uh, Trump becomes incapacitated and, uh, 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 you know, for all we know, by Wednesday, which is when the VP debate is going to take place, Mike Pence could be the acting president. Right. Uh, you know, so we'll, we'll just, just have to have to see. Um, all right. So what were some other um, notable moments during the debate? Um, um, there was, I think, a, yeah, I'll say like the, the one thing that the media is going to hold over Trump head. I mean, even I think the, the whole coronavirus diagnosis kind of overshadows everything that happened with the, the debate. But, um, you know, one thing that's going to be in the media role for every Democratic ad against Trump uh, from here on out is how he told the Proud Boys to stand down and stand by. Yeah. And they're even making shirts already, the Proud Boys. Oh, yeah. They were like within yeah. the hour. They're Proud <laughs> Boys standing by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right. The obvious question is who the hell are the Proud Boys? All right. So, yeah, the, the Proud Boys, they are a rambunctious group. Um, I think are they are they white supremacists? Most of the time, no, no. Um, I would not define the Proud Boys as a white supremacist group. I think, given some of their tenets and the things that they stand for, some um, white supremacists or alt right or alt light type individuals gravitate towards him. Um, I mean, also, I mean, so just real quick, you know, Gavin, Gavin McGinnis founded the Proud Boys back in 2016. Gavin McGinnis was the founder of Vice. Um, he had a uh, Vice uh, Media. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah. Right. Yeah. Vice Media. And uh, so in, in, in 2016, he creates the Proud Boys as a response to the culture war that this uh, that we've been, you know, or the quote unquote culture war that we've been kind of in ever since uh the mid two thousands. Um, I think, um, well, let me, let me, I guess, describe, or let me let them and their own words describe who they are and what they're about. All right. So, um, the proud boys are a pro Western fraternal organization for men who refuse to apologize for creating the modern world, AKA Western chauvinist. <laughs> so I mean, that's also some inflammatory, you know, a purposely used inflammatory language, but I'll keep yeah. on going on. Proud Boys values center on the following tenets, minimal government, maximum freedom, anti-political correctness, anti-drug war, closed borders, anti-racial guilt, anti-racism, pro-free speech, pro-gun rights, glorifying the entrepreneur, venerating the housewife, reinstating the spirit of Western chauvinism. Go on to say these are our central tenets, 
all that is required to become a proud boy is that a man declares he is a Western chauvinist who refuses to apologize for creating the modern world. So you're not. I basically I just want to jump in real quick, because while you were reading that list, I was kind of like giving visual signals on if I agree with it or not. And (laughs) basically everything that you just named just about I pretty much agree with just about all that Mm -hmm. small asterisks next to the closed borders thing. Right. I don't think I don't believe in open borders, but I don't necessarily believe in closed borders either. I think the door should kind of be cracked, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we should definitely let in people, but it needs to be controlled. Um, but uh, a- anyway, um, yeah, continue. They don't sound like radicals to me. No, not on paper and not at all. Um, we uh, continuing on. Um, we do not discriminate based upon race or sexual orientation or preference. We are not an ism, an ist, or a phobic that fits the left's narrative. We are, I'm sorry, we are not an ism, an ist, or a phobic that fits the left's narrative. We truly believe that the West is the best and welcome those who believe in the same tenets as us. We have an international reach with members spanning the globe. We are not all right. We openly encourage Jewish and non-white members to to want and want them to know they're at home with us black and jewish conservatives have put up with way too much shit and the last thing we want for them to the last we want for them is to feel uncomfortable when hanging out with their drinking buddies i said this a thousand times and i'll say a thousand times more we are a fraternal organization like the elks lodge 100 percent of us are western chauvinists which simply means that we all believe that, that the west is the best there are no there are no racial requirements to be in the proud boys there are no special rules for black proud boys or any other white non-white proud boys we don't care what your sexual preference is and that includes gays and dating trans politically a good 98 percent of us love trump but that is not a requirement our pope Dante Nero was a Hillary guy. Uh, so just real quick, the, the last I'll wrap it up here. They describe what a Western chauvinist is to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a proponent of Western civilization, someone who supports a secular government whose legal code is informed by Judeo-Christian ethics and whose origins lie in the Greek and Roman traditions of the Republic. When we proud boys say, I am a proud Western chauvinist, we are saying, I am a proud and unabashed proponent of Western civilization. That is it. So this group does not sound like white supremacists or neo-Nazis at all to me. Uh, Honestly, just reading off that, what you just read off their website, um, the group kind of sounds somewhat appealing to me. You know, I'll, I'll be upfront about that. They don't really sound like, the bad guys that the media is constantly making them out to be. Um, you know, one thing I found out fairly easy while looking for the searching for the proud boys, one of their, their leaders or possibly the leader right now, because uh, Gavin McInnes has kind of uh, stepped down, I think for um, because of, of political pressure. Um, but he, he still likes the organization and whatnot. Um, one of the, their main leader right now is Enrique Tarrio, and he's, uh, he's Afro-Cuban. So yeah. I guess, you know, an African-Cuban uh, man who's now an African-Cuban-American. So, I mean, obviously, they're not a white supremacist group, and anyone who says that they are is just really just trusting the media who 
you know, I, I've said many times, you can't just trust the media. They, they lie all the time. You know, there is a lot of fake news out there. Um, so sometimes yeah. you gotta do your own homework. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think for, you know, for what they stand for, it's just, you know, unfortunately it just comes with the baggage that, you know, it's just a, unfortunately in this country that, you know, white supremacy and racism definitely does exist. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I live in a, a pretty rural area here in Missouri and, uh, I mean, believe I've came into contact with many people that I would consider white supremacist. You know, uh, I've worked for people that I, I would consider that I, well, I know them to be white supremacists. There's people in my community that I know to be white supremacists. So when you, when you see a, you know, a, a, a right wing organization uh, that's willing to put people, you know, boots on the ground, uh, it's just that people like that just generally gravitate towards them. Right. So while not being a, a you know a, a supremacist organization it does attract some of those members some sometimes and they just have to do a very careful job of removing those people within their ranks yeah i i, I think uh it'd be a difficult task but it is possible mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I i think also i mean the, being founded by gavin mcginnis he has a very colorful history um i mean you can listen to his uh, his podcast get off my lawn which I, mean, I, I, I encourage you to check it out. It is, it is pretty hilarious. However, he does cross, he does, right? He definitely pushes and toes the line of like what's acceptable with the first amendment. You know, yeah. it's a, so their tenant that, you know, they're anti-politically correct. They, they mean that exactly the way that you think that they mean that. Yeah. Um, has, has he or the proud boys ever, uh, participated in violence or incited violence in, in any ways to your knowledge? Um, I mean, if you watch the demonstrations, of course, you're, I mean, you're going to see people from, <laughs> but, uh, all right, so in the topic of Proud Boys, yes, yeah, I mean, you, you'll be, you'll see a group of Proud Boys be walking down like that, like at a protest, they're I mean, obviously there to counter protests, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, what have you. And yet, you know, tempers flare in these situations. And you know, sometimes somebody will throw a fist, somebody will throw a club, somebody will uh, shoot somebody with paintballs, spray mace, whatever have you. I mean, those things are inherent in those types of events. Um, and I, I'd say like, that's my, that's my biggest problem with, with Proud Boys. Uh, all right. So first, let me say that 99% of Proud Boy activity is drinking at bars, right? As they're not doing shit in the streets. They, they get together once a month. They hang out at the local the local spot. They get to hang out and drink beer. That's what they do most of the time. It's when you what you see though is them coming out to counter protest, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, Black Bloc, and all that. Um, and that's what I have a problem with. Um, I have the, the, I will condemn them for the same reasons that I condemn Black Lives Matter, the, because if you if you should. These protests, these counter protests, they lead to violence, right? So, like, you're not going to have you're not going to have vi- violence, you're not going to have riots, you're not going to have looting, unless it's preceded by these these protests, right? So, if if you can't have one without the other, well, then you're complicit in the activity that, that happens afterwards, and that that's and so. Of course, you know, I, I support people's First Amendment rights. I support their right to assemble to protest. But given the, the, the climate and the atmosphere that we live in, it will 
inevitably devolve into violence and chaos. And that's, that, that, that comes with, that is the risk that the First Amendment comes with. That's what's so beautiful and so dangerous about it. Um, and that is, that's, yeah, that's, that's my problem with them. Same, yeah, like I said, same problem I have with anybody who's going out in the streets right now. Um, so I, I may be completely wrong on this, but based off the limited research I did, Every time I tried to look for an example of the Proud Boys uh, starting fights or being violent, uh, really every time it was always more in defense, you know, more in self-defense because Antifa, they seem to be the real agitators. And I mean, this predates the whole virus thing. Um, There was an incident supposedly in New York City at the Republican Club a few years ago, I think it was Gavin McGinnis who was giving a speech to a bunch of, of his supporters, the Proud Boys, and Antifa showed up uh, all dressed in black with masks and, and whatnot. This is before the virus, so there's really no reason to be wearing a mask unless you want to do something criminal and not get caught. Um, these Antifa figures show up and start fighting with the Proud Boys. And of course, they're going to defend themselves. They call themselves the Proud Boys. They're not just going to run away, you know? So it's kind of like, what do you expect? And because the one group was wearing masks, they had their identities concealed and the Proud Boys weren't, uh, a bunch of Proud Boys ended up getting uh, arrested. And I think like nine of them, they call them the New York City Nine. Um, uh, Some of them are in, in prison and stuff. Um, for this big uh, Royal Rumble that went down. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I couldn't really find any like concrete examples of the Proud Boys being violent. And even that one was more in self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that it's really Antifa. And this is kind of what Trump was saying during the, ba- the debate. I take issue with how Trump said it, but it seems to me that Antifa really is the larger concern uh, and the Proud Boys really I mean you got one guy who 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 dresses like a uh, like a like a Greek soldier and just like shows up at Antifa rallies and you know th- these videos keep on surfacing of the same guy being chased by by uh, mobs of Antifa people just for dressing up like a like like a gladiator or whatever you know I mean they have uh, they're kind of like a, a, a they're kind of like humorous provocateurs in a way you yes. know they even when you were reading the description uh, off their website there was humor thrown in there. You know, they're not a dead serious group, you know? I mean, if I would expect if you're reading uh, information on the KKK or a neo-Nazi organization, it's going to be all doom and gloom and evil, you know? There's not going to be comedy in there, you know? So, uh, like... To to, uh, emphasize on the, the silliness of the whole organization, too, like, if you're if you're going to join it, you get jumped in, right? And so when you get jumped in, you get a group of guys that are like kind of hitting you on the arm. And then you have to name five breakfast cereals for them to stop. And then after that, <laughs> you're, you're in. So, like. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, that's funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, 
you know, I guess part of it is, you know, uh, kind of pushing back on the pussification of America, which is kind of an ongoing theme that a lot of conservatives like to talk about. I do think it is kind of a real thing. You know, we are becoming a weak, soft society, uh, just just culturally. And, you know, it's it's just kind of like like a a, a pushback uh, against that. I think they encourage each other to work out and um you know they're they just just seem to me like like an an interesting group but anyway i i think we i think we um kind of uh 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 basically already said that this is not a white supremacist organization even though they keep being called such um the uh where was I going with this? Um, what do you think? Oh, okay, I know. What do you think Trump actually meant when he was saying uh, "stand back and stand by"? Hold on, hold on. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to re- rephrase it a little bit. Why did? This this came up during the debate when Chris Wallace was asking Trump to denounce white supremacy, which should be a very easy thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. why can't Trump just say, I denounce white supremacy? I denounce the KKK. You know, he had a hard time a few years ago with, with David Duke, you yeah. know, denouncing him. Um, this has been a re- recurring thing throughout the Trump years where, you know, Charlottesville, um, Although if, if you actually uh, listen to the whole, that whole exchange, the, the Charlottesville uh, situation from a few years ago, I'm referring to, he actually did denounce neo-Nazis and white supremacists, but the media does what they do. They just twist things. They, they, they lie. And, uh, you know, all they play is the, uh, the part where he made the moral equivalency, the so-called moral equivalency. There were good people, very fine people on both sides. And that's all the media plays. They don't play the part where he says, but I'm not referring to the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists. You know, he he said that at the same time. So that being said, he knows how the media picks apart everything that he says. He knows that the media doesn't treat him very fairly. Um, sometimes it's justified, but sometimes it's not. Why can't he just speak clearly, which by the way is another one of Jordan Peterson's rule, speak clearly, right? Um, not sure which one, but it's very important, you know? Um, speak directly and clearly. Why can't he just say, I totally denounce white supremacy. It is evil. Why couldn't he do that during the debate when, you know, probably more Americans are watching that debate than uh, any other Trump event for the past four years and people around the world too. He had a lot of eyeballs on him. It was a simple yeah. thing. Right. Um, I think, I, think uh, I would speculate the two reasons, right? Well, mm-hmm. uh, speculation. So, uh, the first would be that he's he wants their vote. Um, you know, during the debate when uh, he off, there was a couple times where he told Biden, you know, you just lost, you just lost a far left. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, uh, in that same respect, Trump doesn't want to quote lose the far right. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 
I think, uh, man, there, there's more to it. Also, I think he he's he's aware of the fact that if he plays it up, if he makes the whole situation more rid- ridiculous than what it is, the press will pick it up. The, the, the news cycle will be that's all you're going to see for a while. I mean, tons of free airtime. Uh, that could be another angle there too. Yeah. Another another question. Um, that's maybe a, a tough one, so I apologize. But why would I mean, if the Proud Boys are not a white supremacist group, how come he would invoke the Proud Boys when Chris Wallace is asking him to tell the white supremacists to uh, to stand back and, and denounce them? Oh, um, uh, that was the uh, the recommendation of Joe Biden. He um so yeah, Chris Wallace, you know, made the uh, the statement. You know, why don't you uh you know condemn white supremacy he's like he was like come on who do you like so okay he's like who do you want me to you know condemn and then you can hear joe biden say the proud boys and so oh he did yeah oh that that was a recommendation of joe biden interesting uh didn't catch that um so what do you think he meant when he said stand back and stand by man i don't know because i mean what does it mean it's like (laughs) there's a one day is trump gonna be like it's time to stand well, up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he already alluded to it at the very end of the debate when he was basically saying that he strongly urges his supporters to go and watch the polls on Election Day. Mm-hmm. Because in places like Philadelphia, he even names Philadelphia a, a blue city. Um, there are shady things going on, he basically said, yeah. you know, so go to the polls and watch. And... <laughs> Yeah, I found yeah. that to be very odd, you know. I guess it's I don't know what the legality is of that, but I mean, uh, it just sounds like a recipe for disaster when you're taking um a bunch of of diehard Trump supporters and putting them into a a blue district on election day to watch people vote. Um I mean, there's no way I mean, there may there may be uh, in a few of these locations, the majority may be peaceful, but there's going to be outbreaks of violence between these two groups of people. You know, the blue, the blue voters voting in their district and these Trump supporters just watching there's, they're, they're, You know, you're, you're going to have conflict and, and, and potentially violence, and that just disrupts the voting process. Right. I mean, is there, it, it, it's such a strange thing to mention Philadelphia, too, because, I mean, is there any Republican candidate that even has a chance in hell in Philadelphia? Like, what kind of voter fraud that would be meaningful against a Republican that has no chance in a city that is a solid blue city? Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's so silly. Um, I, I think the only, man, the only time I can compare this to was 2000. Uh, back when they were doing the the Bush v. Gore recount in uh, in Florida, there was a group of people that descended on the vote counters, and there was a name for it. I, it escapes me now, but it was called the the something riot. Hmm. Uh, um, and maybe we'll bring it up in the next podcast. Um, but yeah, it was chaos. It was chaos. Really, yeah. I, I didn't know about this. Uh, yeah, um, and then there was a whole. Uh, 
part of the debate where they were going back and forth on uh, mail-in ballots, which I think is a pretty important thing right now. What are your yeah. thoughts on the on mail-in ballots? I would say only do it if you have to. If you can vote in person, vote in person. Um, you know, it's a, for for any of the previous legitimate reasons. Um, if you're super high risk for uh, COVID infection, yeah, vote by mail. Um, if you're not going to be in town, vote by mail. You know, the, the, all the normal things. But um, I, I would like to see near same percentage level of voter turnout. Does Trump have a point on the unsolicited ballots? Because he did make a distinction between he said solicited ballots are fine when you actively request to have a mail in ballot sent to you mm-hmm. versus uh, them just sending uh, mail in ballots to everybody. Um, do you think that there's a, a, a an important distinction between the two? Does Trump have have, have a point on that? Uh, yeah, it definitely it opens the door. Um, an unsolicited ballot definitely does open the door for more corruption and uh, and voter tampering mm-hmm. in comparison to a solicited one. Um, I know there are some states or some maybe some just jurisdictions that an unsolicited mail-in votes is like the way they've always operated and it hasn't been a significant. Uh, source of, of voter fraud uh, but man that's that's putting a little more faith in people than i want to give them yeah um did you hear about the whole uh ilhan omar issue surrounding this and the ballot harvesting oh with the uh the project veritas yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah yeah. Yes. yeah so i mean i mean it's definitely something there's definitely reason to be concerned about this um yeah, I guess if you're unfamiliar, we, we should kind of say what happened. Project Veritas, um, they do a lot of undercover reporting. Uh, some would say it's unethical reporting, but basically what they do is they record people without their knowledge, um, just talking about stuff. And they sent a undercover reporter uh, to talk to somebody who is supposedly working for Ilhan Omar and what they were doing was harvesting ballots. This guy was basically saying that his car is full of, of ballots right now uh, that they could just write o- Omar's name in. Uh, she's of course a, a congresswoman um, in, in Minnesota, is it? She in yes. Minnesota? Yeah. Um, and she's one of the so-called the squad members that uh, conservatives don't like. <laughs> you know, she's one of the, 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 the far left um New Democrats that that just came came to to power uh, two years ago during the midterms. Um, so I mean, there's just there's definitely a concern in my mind about mail-in voting, and I think I've kind of began to change my mind on this a little bit. You know, I was initially thinking that uh, look, we got a there's a pandemic. People shouldn't be lining up and and, and voting in person. We should be doing mail-in voting. Um, but this is just becoming more and more controversial and, you know, I'm just starting to think that, yeah, like you said, if you can vote in person, just, just do it, wear a mask and, you know, we should be doing what districts should be doing and what, 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 um, state governments should be doing um because ultimately i think it's the state government that is in in charge of how the election is ran within their state um 
they should be opening up more districts and doing whatever they can to make sure that people are able to wait online socially distant and uh, uh, you know the whole idea of, of us not knowing who the president is on election day and having to wait months to know I just think is a scary thing and potentially very destabilizing so I'm starting to think you know maybe we should just vote in person with minor exceptions you know people mm. who absolutely can't they're overseas maybe they're, they're serving in the military they're stationed overseas and they can't vote in person you know i, I but yeah if you're definitely sick in the hospital be, yeah 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 you're in the hospital right but we definitely shouldn't be sending out unsolicited ballots to to everybody uh, that's no. just a recipe for fraud no as, um, I, i'm also a, a big supporter of blockchain voting uh, I, I think uh, once we once we figure out how we can do it, you know, with uh, you know a nation of 320 million people, of course, that many people don't vote. Uh, yeah, I think it's at the ballpark of 120 million if we're lucky. We can build the infrastructure for people to be able to vote by blockchain, so vote online, vote by your phone. Uh, I think that is a a a, a far superior um, way to go than you know unsolicited mail-in ballots. But I guess then again. You, know, you potentially could have the issue with, with the uh, you know about harvesting and in, in a situation that you saw in the Veritas video where you know a guy walks up to you and says, uh, "Hey, you know, vote for Ilhan right now, and I'll give you two hundred bucks." You know, and you pull out your phone and vote for Ilhan and gives you two hundred bucks. I, I, I guess you know that something like that potentially could exist, but my Jesus Christ, like the like the the number of votes that you would have to to get this i guess maybe not to sway an election but but i just i don't know i i just think it would, it would require such a logistically as a guy has done logistics for for a long time for logistically to figure out how you're gonna you know change the course of an election that way it's it's, it's a huge deal i mean it would require so many people mm-hmm. and so much money like not saying it's impossible i just think it's unlikely to yeah. uh, to what alter the vote somehow? Yeah, yeah it's like so like uh, if, if you're gonna you know pay people to vote like that was uh, you know described in the uh, in the Veritas video, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think it's, it's just talk, to talk about that that video is like a little bit longer you know like like they get these guys on the phone and they're like you know legal oh you know, we don't care what's legal I mean like. That just doesn't seem like what a normal person would do. You know yeah. what I so mean? You, you, so you think it was doctored and, and made up kind of doctored or mistaken or I, I don't know. I, I, you also don't get to see like the, you know, or hear the, the entirety of the conversations that they have with these people. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe, the, maybe everything they presented was factual mm-hmm. and true. And the court case on this will be so open and shut. It'll just be like over next week. Yeah. However, I, I, I think nothing's going to happen from it. I think a lot of the people who supposedly they are harvesting ballots from were people um, in like like elderly homes and whatnot who may not have all their mental faculties in place, but yet they're still still able to vote. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I, I could definitely see it. You know, these people being targets of 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 voter fraud. You know, basically having their voice stolen. Um, it's definitely something to be concerned about. Um, and yeah, the blockchain thing that you brought up is, is very interesting. Uh, it's just a shame that our government is so far behind the eight ball on technology 
that, uh, you know, we're not going to get that this election, probably not next no. election either, you know, no. uh, maybe by 2045, we'll, we'll have it. But um, yeah, it's definitely something that they should uh, get the get the work on. Um, yeah, the, but yeah, the, uh, the USPS has a patent for it. So, you know, yeah, they're, yes. they're working on it. Yep, that's true. That's true. It's just a matter of time. Um, I, I do want to like, back up a little bit and, and, you know, just say that I think the biggest issue here, uh, despite everything that we just said, is calling into question the legitimacy of an election. I think that's very concerning, you know, where I may agree with Trump on, you know, mail-in ballots potentially being a source of fraud. That's one thing. But for him to openly question the legitimacy of the upcoming election, I think is is very concerning, right? Um, this election is going to be contested, right? There's just no no way it's it's not. Um, they're already, both sides are already gearing up lawyers and with the sheer numbers of, of mail-in ballots that are being sent in, um, a lot, I think there's eight states where they're not even allowed to open up the mail until, until election day. Mm -hmm. So there's just no way that they're going to have gone through all these ballots before the end of the day. It's just an impossibility. We're not going to know who... We're going to have one answer probably on election day based on people voting in person. There's a very good chance that whoever is in the lead then won't be in the lead after they count in all the mail-in ballots. And then, you know, it's going to go to court probably. And they're going to be trying to, to say, Hey, these ballots were, were done wrong. Um, uh, Every election, there's always a lot of mail-in ballots that are denied for various reasons, uh, usually not having anything to do with fraud. A lot of times people like they forget to sign their name on it or something, and th then you got to throw that out. That's no right. good. Um, so they're going to be trying to to go through these ballots and, and say, oh, this one is, is no good, uh, you know, and, and trying to get the, the, the judges, whoever makes these final decisions to to, to scrap um, uh, certain ballots. Um, it's going to be contested. It's going to get tied up in the courts. And that just makes the whole Supreme Court nominee all more uh, important and relevant. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, for the president to say that he said a number of times that the only way he loses is if the election is stolen, you know, if, if it's rigged if there's massive fraud. And then again, during the debate for him to say that he strongly urges his supporters to go out and watch in these blue polling places, um, watch for the fraud. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm getting nervous. I'm really thinking that he's not going to concede. You know, Biden, he actually did say that if he loses he loses and and that's that's that and uh, you know kudos kudos to him um but that's acting presidential even if biden doesn't actually intend on conceding if i mean he probably will challenge it to be honest with you just just vocalizing that i think 
on the debate stage, um, I, I think is problematic because what you're doing is you're telling the American people don't trust the system. You know, our democratic system is not really democratic. And that's what Russia wants. And that's what China wants. And, and our adversaries who don't like democracy, they want us to think that what we have is a farce. And that even though their system over there is not democratic, at least it's honest, right? Yeah. People in China, they don't vote for, for their leaders, right? The, Xi Jinping was not elected by the people. But all the people know that. They're at least not, they at least don't think that they're voting, you know? There's no charades going on. So they want us not to trust our system anymore. And to instead say, hey, maybe China's system is a little bit better because they're at least honest about it. Um, and they're, they're effective. They have a highly effective government over there in China. There's no way of denying that. Um, so kind of went on a rant there. But, you know, I, I just did not like the whole, uh, you know, delegitimizing the calling into the question into question the uh the election that, that trump did at the end that was uh, very concerning to me yeah me too and uh, if we, we we talked about this a little bit in our last podcast and uh, you know this i think unfortunately that this election is not going to be decided at the ballot box this will be decided in the courts one way or the other there's going to be you know there's i need to check out check it out now see how many cases is up to but there was like last week there was 250 cases about ballot access and you know things just regarding the the election so um it's going to come down to whose votes do we keep who do we throw out you know do we yeah. throw out you know it's, it's just going to be a giant freaking mess and uh yeah yeah it, it's going to be it's going to be a test a, a test and a strain on a, on our democracy yeah i definitely think so um I don't want to end on this heavy note, though, and I think we did last time, too. So um, <laughs> we'll talk about exploding trees for a second. Yeah. Because <laughs> this was actually brought up during the debate, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, they didn't outright say exploding trees, but that's something that Trump said a few weeks ago, and it was just hilarious. Um, but uh, they did bring up... Um, um, environmental concerns and the uh fires that are ravaging the west coast right now um which i feel horrible for all those people who um you know have lost their homes and their properties and whatnot um very very sad situation that we have to get under control um but uh the eucalyptus tree right yes um what's what's if going on with that you you take it from there all right so uh i don't i don't have the history in front of me right now but anyway the eucalyptus tree was a a uh an, well, it is an invasive species brought to the west coast from australia i believe and the eucalyptus tree is incredibly flammable when dried out and i think the only way that you can accurately accurately describe what it's like when you burn dried eucalyptus is an explosion it ignites so quickly and so fast and with such intensity that uh, it's, uh, you know, of course when trump says it trump has a 
issues with his delivery all the time. He, he fumbled that delivery, but <laughs> but I mean, dude's right. These, yeah. these these trees blow up. I mean, every, mm-hmm. even like a you know a, a conifer in evergreen, you know, when they a Christmas a Christmas tree when they catch on fire, they blow yeah. up. A, a eucalyptus tree is like that times ten. Just boom, it's it's intense. Yeah. Um, so these trees are basically throughout California. And um, like you said, they're an invasive species brought in from Australia. So regardless of how you feel about the whole notion of climate change and global warming, whether you think it's a, a Chinese hoax, which Trump was saying early on, it's a, it's a Chinese hoax. Um, uh, regardless of how you feel about that, there is no denying that the bringing in of the eucalyptus tree, which, as Jeremy just said, is a highly flammable invasive species, um, that was a result of mankind, right? This, these forest fires that we're seeing in California and Washington and Oregon um, is a direct result of humans tampering with their environment, um, man-made climate change in a way. There may have been, there probably were always uh, natural fires in California uh, and other parts of the West Coast. Anywhere where you have a, a dry climate, um, th- th- there are natural fires. You got trees and plants, vegetation eventually die. Uh, you, you get a layer of, of brush on the bottom of the forest and the sun constantly beams down and uh, eventually you, you get a spark and a, and a fire. But what happens when you have all these dead eucalyptus trees all over the place is once the fire reaches to them, they freaking explode. Yeah. <laughs> and it spreads the fire like a hundred times more than these fires should be spreading. And that's a result of, of, of man and possibly a result of poor forest management. They should be cleaning up all this brush and, and these trees and uh, not only just the dead trees, they should be trying to get rid of living eucalyptus trees too, because a, a, a live eucalyptus tree is going to become a dead one. Eventually it's just going to cause a fire. So, and it's an invasive species. There's really no, I don't know if it's even feasible to yank them all out. I'm sure there's millions of them, but it potentially talking about that, I think, would be uh, an improvement from the, the current environmental debate. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, one takeaway during the debate um, on that topic was uh, Trump was blaming um, the poor forest management on behalf of California, Oregon, and Washington. Um, but most of the forest land in those states is actually owned by the federal government and Trump has cut the budget for forest management, the federal budget. So, yeah, I mean, and that was a missed opportunity for Biden because he didn't bring that up. I only found that out when I was kind of looking into this a little bit. I think like 95% of the, the park land in California is actual, actually federal land. Yeah, and I think uh, who would have remembered that if he had been on the debate stage was would have been a uh, an Andrew Yang. You know, I think yeah. he was yeah, as a, he had a policy 
I, I, he was one, I think one of the few that actually had a comprehensive, comprehensive policy of how to address the issue. And uh, yeah, one, 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 of, one part of that policy was to quadruple the, uh, the funding that that, that agency yeah. gets. Kill the eucalyptus trees. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be that'd be my policy. <laughs> um, no, seriously. I mean, there's a ton of bums in California. You know what I mean? Put a price on each tree. Have the bums go into the woods with chainsaws and start cutting down the trees and and pay them for it. It's a way to put people to work. Yeah, it's a federal jobs guarantee. It might not work, but it brings attention to the issue, you know, and I don't know, gives people something to do, a way to make some money. Right. Yeah, we we could bring back the the CCC, you know, the Civilian Conservation Corps, which I mean, it still exists to a certain extent today, but not like it did. Um, I mean, yeah, that could be a, a massive federal expenditure program that could produce a lot of good you know as a you know that was born out of the new deal yeah um yeah uh, and uh yeah i think we definitely need something <laughs> not sure if it's a green new deal that we need but i mean we, we definitely do need uh some some big things right mm-hmm. i think um, i'm not sure if we need a big like what uh well actually we probably do need a big like what zoltan was suggesting but mm-hmm. i think uh i yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is an area where uh, this is coming from a guy who does not like big government, but this is an area where government of some sort, whether we're talking about the federal government or the state governments, they need to do something because it's not an area where the private market is just going to uh, going to address the problem. Um, and, and it's just going to get worse and worse. You know, I, I think the results are in. I do think climate change is real and the eucalyptus trees, they are still spreading. So, you know, it, it's, it's a, a dual problem that's kind of creating this, this cocktail for uh, these deadly fires. And it's just going to progress and get worse and worse every single year if we don't do something about it. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's, you know, kind of why I was well, exactly why you know, I just describe her identify myself as a left-leaning libertarian is that i think yeah the uh there are some definitely some functions of the federal government that the benefit that they they supply to society far outweighs any capital gains that could be had in the in the the private market right i get that there's there's no way that you can like get a private company that at a at a reasonable price to you know and, and better the lives of you know millions of people in our country you know uh perhaps i'm wrong perhaps the, the federal government were just contracted you know all the way all the way down but yeah you know, i think you know like we, we were able to we were able to make the civilian conservation corps things a resounding successful program we can surely figure out the wildfire situation on the west coast yeah i mean we put a man on the moon for heaven's sake, you know, I mean, right. we, yes. we could do, we could do anything, <laughs> you know, we can, uh, we could, if we put our mind to it, we could solve the wildfire problem. And, uh, it's something that we have to do. Um, but, uh, on that note, what do you say? Should we wrap up? Yeah, that's a, that's a good stopping point. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, next, next week we'll be back. We uh, will be talking about the vice presidential debate, I'm sure, and hopefully that will be more civil and, uh, than this last one, and hopefully we get more actual policy out of the two. I think we will. Um, do you have any expectations? 
Um, yeah, it'll be more like what we are used to seeing. Um, you know, some a, a debate that we haven't seen in shit eight years now. Um, mm. It's going back to I'm trying to think of who can I compare this debate to. But I mean, well, it, I don't think it'd be Romney and Obama. Um, maybe more like McCain and Obama, um, Bush and Gore. Yeah, I can see that. But I think, well, I think the 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 social justice issue that I think that's going to weigh on on Kamala will be yeah. something that's like new to the uh, at least at, at like in terms of the importance um, mm-hmm. to to this uh, debate. So that'll be kind of exciting to see how that plays out. And uh, but yeah, policy, policy, policy. That's all we're going to hear. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. I'm ready for it. Um, quite excited too. Uh, this last debate. I know you said you loved it, but I, th- I thought it was a little bit of a doozy overall, you know? I mean, it was entertaining, but just not really what I wanted from two people vying to be the most powerful person in the world. Uh, but, um, oh, one other thing I want to mention that I'm also looking forward to regarding Kamala Harris is um, the... Uh, uh, the confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett because Kamala Harris is uh, actually on the Senate Judiciary Committee. So she'll be one of the senators questioning Amy Coney Barrett on her beliefs and on her uh, uh, res- resume and whatnot to see if she's fit to be a Supreme Court justice. And uh yeah, that's going to be interesting. In a way, that will be like uh, I, 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 the real vice presidential debate. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have and I have mixed feelings about that because I think it will be interesting that exchange when it does happen. But in a way, I mean, obviously, we know going into it that Kam, uh, Kamala Kamala Harris. Fuck, I, I, I always mispronounce her name and I don't do it on, on purpose. And I know this was a controversial thing a few weeks ago. Um, I think um, I forgive you. Name? Tucker Carlson I... mispronounced her name on air and it was very controversial. I'm not doing it on purpose. For you and for anybody else listening, yeah. it's, it's comma like the punctuation mark mm-hmm. and la Kamala. Kamala, Kamala, Kamala Harris. Um, yeah, so the confirmation hearing uh, for Amy Coney Barrett when she questions uh, the judge, that will be very interesting. Um, not sure if uh, there's a date for that set. Um, but uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, I guess I'll see you all next week. Any uh, any final words, Jeremy? <laughs> You no, close us, you close us out. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. It's been a wild week, but man, everybody hang on because this train is only going to further derail off these tracks. And oh boy, it's like, it's all right. So like we're, we're, we're at, we're at, a, we're at nine right now. It's going to be 10. We're going to hit 11. We're going to hit 11, <laughs> but, but brace yourself for 12. We're not there yet. You got to hang in there, everybody. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Buckle up. <laughs>